Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here. I am Nube, your host of Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO, San Francisco 89.5. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and get started with Angela Davis talking about the fallacy of prison reform. She does in the beginning talk about a documentary that unfortunately I wasn't able to find out about because I believe this is an excerpt of... Um, a talk that she gave at Keene State College, um, and it looks like it might have been either shared or uh, put on by Afro-Marxists. So um, I found it on YouTube. Listen up. It's always great to hear from Angela Davis. And I want you to know that we are getting ready um, for, we are gearing up big time for the uh, 10th anniversary of the uh, California, the historic California hunger strikes. So um, 
please uh, just you know get ready for that. Uh, you will see, then uh, we will begin to um, hear a lot about that starting um, in July, uh, both here through California Prison Focus elsewhere and the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. All right, here we go with uh, Angela Davis. This took place on March 27th in 2018, The Fallacy of Prison Reform. And so this documentary, I think, reflects a new move, a new moment with respect to an issue that that many of us uh, radical scholars, activists, have been focusing on for many years. Uh, um, what is what is good is that a new vocabulary, which is the old vocabulary of uh, the abolitionist movement, uh, the carceral state, prison nation, mass incarceration, addiction to incarceration, uh, uh, is uh, normalized in that film. And this is all good. This is all very good. But, and this is my question, and this is a question I suppose that has a great deal to do with the meaning of freedom. What if the system cannot be fixed? What if the system cannot be fixed? What happens if we recognize that the history of the prison is precisely, precisely the history of attempts to fix the system? The history of the prison is the history of Prison reform. The prison itself was a reform introduced uh, around the turn of the, 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 the 19th century as a, um, as a way of, of expressing uh, that the punishments, corporal punishments, capital and corporal punishments, were undemocratic. This is around the time of the American Revolution, all the new discussions of democracy. And then reform later in the 19th century, say around the 1870s, led to specific architectures and regimes for women. The women's prison is introduced, which uh, is often patterned after youth reformatory. Uh, and then in the 1930s, um, rehabilitation becomes the focus. It becomes the emphasis of reform efforts. Uh, in the 1970s, uh, and many of you are probably familiar with the Attica Rebellion. In the aftermath of the Attica Rebellion, there was a, a wave of calls for prison reform. As a matter of fact, the Attica Uprising produced a list of demands uh, that helped to drive this uh, reform movement. And this came from the prison prisoners themselves. Uh, you can Google uh, Attica uh, demands. Uh, there's something like, I, I, I have all of the demands listed. There's something like um, 25 of them. 20, oh, I'm sorry, 27. And, and I don't have time to go through each one uh, individually, but I will say that uh, uh, they address uh, legal rep representation at parole boards, um, uh, better medical staff and medical uh, medical um, <clears throat> policy and procedure, um, adequate vi visiting conditions, uh, an end to um, an end to the segregation of prisoners from the mainline population because of their political beliefs. Uh, and incidentally, there's still a huge number of political prisoners behind bars. So. And I would like to see Obama address that. But as a matter of fact, I'd like to see Obama grant clemency to political prisoners like Leonard Peltier and Maria Abu-Jamal and Asante Shakur. What's interesting is that um, a number of the demands revolve around labor. We 
demand that inmates be granted the right to join or form labor unions. And that they be granted the right to support their own families, working on um, scale wages. This was 1970. They were calling for scale wages for prisoners who uh, worked. And, well, we know what's been happening in New York. Uh, you know, all of the revelations regarding uh, repression and brutality uh, behind bars. Um, number 12 of their demands. We demand an end to the escalating practice of physical brutality being perpetrated upon the inmates of New York State prisons. Unionized vocational training, recreational fund, and um, number 18 is really interesting. We demand that the present parole board appointed by the governor be eradicated and replaced by a parole board elected by the popular vote of the people. In a world where many crimes are punished by indeterminate sentences and where authority acts within, with secrecy and within vast discretion and are given heavy and give heavy weight to accusations by prison employees against inmates. Inmates feel trapped unless they are willing to abandon their desire to be independent uh, men. And I mention that in, in particular because, I'm, and I want to talk a little bit about indeterminate sentences, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing number 20, uh, is a, an immediate end to the agitation of race relations by the prison administration. Uh, um, an end to the discrimination in the judgment and quota of parole for black and brown people. And so it goes on and on. You see, this is, this is um, better food. An uh, end to the unsanitary conditions. Uh, and so... Finally, they say, we are firm in our resolve and we demand as human beings the dignity and justice that is due us by our right of birth. We do not know how the present system of brutality and dehumanization and injustice has been allowed to be perpetrated in this day of enlightenment, but we are the living proof of its existence and we cannot allow it to continue. The taxpayers who just happen to be our mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, and sons should be made aware of how their tax dollars are being spent to deny their sons, brothers, fathers, and uncles of justice, equality, and dignity. Um, now, I mentioned indeterminate sentencing. Because one of the major reforms that occurred during that period was the abolition of indeterminate sentencing. But what was it replaced with? Mandatory minimums. And so what appeared to be a humane reform that would make life better for our people behind bars ended up becoming one of the most repressive uh, arms uh, of the criminal justice system. And I use this as an example because oftentimes it's not immediately clear how reforms can actually strengthen repression, how reforms can actually strengthen um, uh, a system that perhaps needs to be replaced with something else. Uh, uh, and I'm not saying that we don't need any reforms. Of course we need reforms. But the measure of whether reforms will actually be helpful in the long run, I think, resides in the question of whether or not it makes life better and more habitable for those who happen to be in prison. 
not whether it will strengthen the institution of the prison, not whether it will make more permanent the prison and its practices of uh, the practices that fill it of uh, over incarceration. Now, what gets left out in many of the proposed reform strategies uh, that are designed to repair the damages of mass incarceration is the fact that there are corporations reaching, reaping enormous profits from a punishment system that has spun out of control. And of all of the discussions, I have not uh, encountered uh, this absolutely essential element of uh, this of, 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 of what is often called mass incarceration. This is why we um, talk about a prison industrial complex. The reliance on prisons to solve social problems is a trend all over the world. Uh, and why the juggernaut of privatization has to be linked to our understanding of, 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 of the problem of the prison, the neoliberal assumption that anything can be a source of profit. Human beings can be uh, uh, marketed. And so the prison crisis, I think, cannot be solved without dismantling what we have come to call the prison industrial complex, which relies on racism as the fuel for a profit driven practice of punishment. The prison crisis requires us to understand not only the role of race and how structural racism uh, uh, helps to drive uh, this over-incarceration, but the role of gender. Uh, first of all, women seem to get left out of all of the discussions around uh, prisons. And it's true that women constitute a relatively small minority of, of prisoners all over the world. But it's also true that if one looks closely at the predicament of women in prison, one gets a much more complex sense of the work that mass incarceration accomplishes. One is compelled to ask questions about the relationship between institutional violence, state violence, on the one hand, and intimate violence on the other. And one begins to recognize the extent to which this symbiotic relationship between institutional violence and, in, and, and, institutional violence and intimate violence uh, uh, drives uh, uh, the prison industrial complex. And also, um, more recently, people involved in the abolitionist campaign have come to recognize how essential it is for an accurate analysis of racism and the prison crisis to look at the situation of transgender prisoners. Trans prisoners are able to um, reveal not only the, the uh, uh, transphobia and, 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 and racism and all of its intersections, uh, but the way the prison as, a, as an institution is also a gendering apparatus. Uh, and so the work, the, the recent work that has been, been done around trans prisoners is a really good anthology that was uh, published a couple of years ago um, by Nat Smith and um, Eric Stanley that's called um, Captive Embodiment, uh, Trans Prisoners and the Prison Industrial Complex, Trans Bodies and the Prison Industrial Complex. So. And also it's important to understand the reach of the prison industrial complex without recognizing that the same incarceration practices are used on immigrants. And that as a matter of fact, the the most profitable sector of the, what we call the prison industrial complex is 
resides in privatized detention facilities for immigrants. And I want to know, when, when we're talking about trying to eradicate mass incarceration, why the discussion of immigrants completely falls out of the frame. It means that we fall prey to uh, the kind of provincialism that is so distinctly um, American. And I, when I say American, I mean U.S. You know, not American in the largest sense. Uh, uh, the provincialism, uh, the inability to think beyond um, this space, uh, the assumption that, uh, that, that we are the center of the world. And I think younger generations are recognizing that not only are we not the center of the world, but we are responsible for so many of the problems uh, uh, the, the, the world is experiencing now. And especially, especially the fact that the, 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 the sign of US democracy has become the prison. Wherever the US goes to save democracy, they bring prisons. So the system can't be fixed. If the system can't be fixed, maybe it can be abolished. And maybe we can, maybe we can imagine other ways of addressing problems that this criminal justice system pretends to but cannot solve. And let me say that um, there's been a lot of discussion about policing over the last year. And policing, as we know it, should also be abolished. All right, thank you. Beautiful Angela Davis, so powerful, powerful words of wisdom, her powerful love of the people, and always her... Uh, Incredible articulation of um, around prison reform, abolition, and the steps forward, um, and uh, again, her analysis on what I consider to be the continued crime against humanity that is modern-day legal slavery still taking place within our prisons and our need to abolish them. Yes, let's make them obsolete. All right, we are going to continue now uh, with uh, some letter reading. I'll just be reading some letters from our California prisoners. Um, we will also most likely be hearing from at least one um, California, historic California hunger striker. So stay with us. Uh, I think we might take a quick musical break, though, before we get started with um, more or uh, just more beautiful voices uh, from the inside. And um, if you're just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and I am your host, Nube Brown. Thank you. 
Badu with The Healer. Um, actually, I had the pleasure of um, receiving a phone call from Ifuma, our beloved Ifuma Modibo Kambon, and I am going to share with you, um, yeah, I'm going to share with you that um, conversation that we had. Here we go. Of course, it's always just great to talk to you. I'm so glad that we are talking again. It's been so long. I'm always blessed to share whatever's on my mind with you, whatever's on in my heart with you. Fantastic. You know, uh, oh, but let me say this before we start talking. Okay. Uh, In regards to Black Lives Matter, I want to say this here, is that doing the NBA... You get the, the movement of Black Lives Matter by the athletes, by the entertainers, by, you know, all the people you, the visible people that you see in the media, right? Mm-hmm. But the Bayview, that's part of an infrastructure in our community that provides information about our lives, that share our stories inside, here, and out. So my thing is just here, that if we really talk about Black Lives Matter, why don't we invest in our communities? The Bayview, they they need help. Why can't the athletes, the entertainers, who, you know, get on TV and say this and that? Black Lives Matter, they start with our communities, our institutions, that teach our children what it means to be black what it happening to have a history with communities. How else are we going to grow and develop unless we really start investing in our own community? We always talk about vote, 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 but yet we don't get nothing for it. We don't get our tax dollars don't even work for us. They've been outside of the community. 
why we don't hold people account for our faults? Why is it in this state alone that you get three strikes, two strikes, one strike, you out? The new Jim Crow system. Why we don't hold people to account for our faults that we really matter? And I think the first step in our journey of healing, of and, 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 and our feeling is for us really to acknowledge them type of This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's that we need people to come home with money to invest in our communities, to save the save few. That should be our, our, our goal. That should be our aim. Support black business. How else are we going to grow? How else we gonna how 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 else we gonna begin to really educate our little children, our babies, you know? How else we gonna start talking about really health care for our elderly? And we got to really start really focusing those who got money. You know, it's it's sad that people for people to boast on their wealth and then look at our the state of people below them. It's sad that we got, as a, as, a, as a people, got billions of dollars, and yet there's poverty amongst us. It, you know, and so my thing today is to challenge the athletes, the entertainers who all talk about Black Lives Matter, come home and invest in our communities. We need help. We need help. The fight is just not talk. You know, we need people to do, you know, because it's always out of possibilities that, out of doing that we discover what's, what, what's possible. We just can't talk it to the existence. We've got to do it, you know. Black Lives Matter, to me, and that's the realest, most sense possible. You know, it's always case that world stuff. And now you want to talk about the, uh, the, uh, Hunger strikers. I just find that so beautiful. I have never ceased to be incredibly moved by just the deep love of the people that come from our loved ones on the inside. Mind you, this is one of the men that was was called the worst of the worst. And they really are the best of the best. I never cease to be moved and inspired by this incredible sense of shared humanity and upliftment of humanity. Um, again, from people, men that were deemed the worst of the worst. Men that were tortured for decades really because of that that kind of love for the people, um, socio-political ideas, having a sense of self and wanting to teach others, wanting to empower their people. Um, so I wanted to play that because um, as you know, as you know I am an abolitionist um, but I am, um, my focus is on the prisoner human rights movement and the abolition of prisons so that we can have, so that our people can be released. Ifoma is an elder. So I'm going to say here, um, you've heard me talk about uh, the Liberate Our Caged Elders, Our Tortured Elders campaign that comes from Liberate the Caged Voices, a project that was born out of California, Prison Focus. Please go to their website, prisons.org, see the amazing things that Minister King and Kim Pollack, co-directors of California Prison Focus and Cage Universal uh, are doing. And please donate there. And also, um, again, like, like Ufoma is talking about, we need to invest in each other. We need to start buying and investing black, buying and investing in new African, buying and investing in our black youth, our, however you identify, black, multiracial, 
African-American, new African, um, African. Uh, invest in and love each other. All right. Well, with that said, uh, I just found it quite remarkable that uh, Nifuma was talking about that, uh, about the investment in um, the structures that are available to us to tell our story without it being watered down, without it being marginalized, without it being um, censored or just outright silenced um, and or edited, that we are unapologetically uh, supporters of our prisoner class and we love our people behind the walls. They are still our community members and we are unapologetically black here. So... Um, I want to read a portion of a letter that I got from Yafeo Ayapo, a slave named Leonard Alexander, because um, he talks about, he happened to be talking about the economic issue and how to overcome that. Again, we hear from our prisoners inside because not only are they experiencing in the most real form modern day uh, legal slavery that's taking place in America here in 2021 and manifesting uh, and thriving, unfortunately, in our prisons. Um, But they have the solutions for them. They're experiencing it, and so they know best, and we need to hear from them. So here is, um, this is going to be a little bit of, a little bit choppy because they're, uh, I'm going to be reading excerpts of it. Uh, Greetings, Nube Brown. How are you today? Well, I'm... uh, I sincerely, well, I sincerely hope. As for myself, my mind, body, and soul are all stable, and I am just a little over busy because me, the House of Ayepo, and the rest of our, my indie media teams are about to help solve a list of our black or race-based economic problems that could have been and should have been better solved close to 50 years ago, with quite a few exclamation points after that. Anyway, I have several examples of mutually relevant economic self-empowerment issues that you and I need to further discuss ASAP for some of the following long-neglected reasons. Um, Let's see. Nube, check this out. Between the early 1970s through 1989, and again from 1990 through 2000, you can see with your own eyes that I was just one of those thousands of young black men whom were the hated and feared targets of the new Jim Crow era of mass incarceration schemes, B, oh, that was A, A, B, the so-called school-to-prison pipelines, and you've heard me talk about the other pipelines, Um, and what Ralph Waldo Ellison sought to describe way back in the 50s, re, black folks all across America being reduced to, quote, the invisible man or woman, unquote. But tragically, when I, we initially entered these genocidal neo-slave-breaking camps, no, Not everyone was fully aware that the above real-life plots were only part of the evil evil criminal conspiracies that were covertly and overtly being waged against us on both sides of these racist prison walls. Meaning, per the same... Oh, um, let's see. Um, Sis, for those of us who were most active in our prior circles of reading, research, and critical thinking, including myself, we, I soon became aware that we were all the premeditated targets of a number of COINTELPRO-style divide-and-conquer campaigns that were specifically designed to destroy an entire generation of then-young black men, either mentally, physically, or both at the same time. But sis, in all these cases, once invisible real-life acts, each fell under state-sponsored criminal acts of criminal conspiracies, criminal co-conspiracies, a list of overt acts including not limited to genocide, torture, murder, population control, mad scientist-based eugenic schemes. Um, Let's see. And, plus, and still, secret plans of wholly unconsented and involuntary human research experiments. We know all these things are happening within prison. In fact, says for anyone who may be prone to disbelieve black folks... All right, excuse me, here we continue. In fact, this for anyone who may be uh, prone to disbelieve black folks' claims, which we know happens quite a lot, of white America's very, very, very long histories of illegal and genocidal criminal acts against us, 
Crap. Just go to the same item um, under the 1987 ACLU report authored by Dr. Richard Com. that's K-O-M, or, yeah, I think it's Com, and reread the three primary objectives described under his subsections one, two, and three, and then go to the same item under search of a once-secret four-page report titled A History of Secret Human Experimentation in the U.S., all right, we might go to that. Um, okay, next, once black folks are able to become woke enough to better understand the 40 or 50 years of genocidal crimes that we have already been subjected to, the next long-neglected question that could have been and should have been on the table years ago is how do we, I, help to transform a first negative set of problems back into a second list of far more positive solutions. And this is where a number of our kinfolk at home have repeatedly dropped the ball for real. Meaning, uh, let's see, Nube, check this out. For a prolonged number of years from about 2007 through 2015, I personally took the time and efforts to reach out to folks at the SF Bayview, CPF, and the so-called lawyers assigned to our prior prison lawsuits, etc., etc., etc. Um... Oh, then he goes, okay, to our prior prison lawsuits, to privately advise all of those folks that, as you can see with your own eyes, Madonna's old film company, Re Maverick Films, and and L.A., arch-rival named Inferno Distribution, were engaged in a then-heated legal battle over the old or outdated contents for a 1971-based film titled The Stanford Prison Experiments. Please check those out. And Nubia, I repeatedly tried to explain to all of these uh, excited folks why in, in the hell are we allowing folks in the media to argue or waste money over the contents of a 1971-based criminal conspiracy to illegally abuse and uh, or, ex- uh, or experiment on prisoners when in fact our black butts were the future targets of such plans. And all these outside folks needed to do was help Madonna Maverick Films, Inferno Distribution, Semtex Films, Studios, and or anybody else to hook up to then-current real-life events at PBSP Shoe Unit, Torture Chambers, and all of these outside media people's groups and how in any potential multi-million dollar budgets could have easily been utilized to help focus more outside eyes, ears, minds, and calls for justice on some of the worst examples of state-sponsored genocide that was knowingly allowed to be committed against their entire generation of blacks, browns, poor whites, and other American-born citizens. Um, So, okay. Um, Still, sis, there is always more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. We really got to find a better phrase. Um, anyway, there, there are more than one way to go about it, so to speak. Meaning, Nubia, I do not know if you have been ever properly advised or not, but in a conscious efforts to help attract a much, a much wider circles of economic rebuilding supports on behalf of both our black captive and non-captive activist communities in general during the past five years, I've both been working. Uh, okay, so then he goes on to say that the, uh, some of the work that he's been doing. Um, let's see. All right, hold on one second. I'm going to get right back to it here with another letter that he wrote because um, there he goes into a little bit more um, of um, some economic stuff. So hold on one second. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to just stick with this um, for, for now. In general, during the past five plus years, I have both been working to author my own examples of self-help booklets, plus I've taken a whole series of visual arts classes, which have better prepared me to do all of my own cover designs and a few inside illustrations for each project. In particular, I have also tried to author my own original black characters, multi-characters, and other positive prisoner-related storylines that I plan to pitch as a series of proposed indie film concepts. That way, some of the same characters and storyline contents can be utilized to go after more than one source of wholly legal financial incomes. But in addition, on the back of my recent letter to you was just one of the many older, angry, and will cuss you out characters from one of my alternative visual freedom campaigns titled Free My Grumpy Paw, Free My Grumpy paw free my grumpy paw um, and these all have exclamation points to help better protect the real life 
existence of many of our still captive and tortured elders behind these racist, hateful, and genocidal prison walls. And on a regular basis, I'm already designing a whole new collection of pro-black note cards, greeting cards, posters, fundraising t-shirts, hoodies, and other brand-building merchandise. In fact, shoot, Nube, when I get done with some of my next works, it is going to literally be impossible for a much larger number of folks to not know a great deal more about our California-based freedom campaigns. And many, many, many years ago, I had also created a series of economic self-help projects in behalf of our still-captive black art students, and I plan to have some of those examples redone and sent out to a new list of outside visual arts muses, patrons, graphic arts and design students, and other art-related mutual support networks. Sound like an artivist? That way, sis... How in the hell are folks on the outside world supposed to help rebuild a stable mutual support networks for our tortured elders if there is not any well-planned media campaigns in place that are also by and for our from our own prison men to help better educate, organize, and then teach a feature or promote the visual artworks that some of our own kin folks have been laboring to self-develop for the past 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years or longer. As such, sis, whenever your schedule permit, can you please do a search of Wikipedia, Google, or whatever search engine is most feasible. So, um, Yafea is doing, you know, they continue to do the work inside for their own, their own freedom. And um, so appreciating that they, um, our political prisoners, our heroes inside, like Yafeo and Ifuma are still reaching out to us. Of course, they are still doing the work to inspire us to continue to do the work. I am going to read a little bit more from Yafeo because he sent me quite a bit. So um, give me one second here. All right. So uh, Yafeo went on to uh, write about something that I found very, very important. So we know how much... um, you know, the, uh, oppressed peoples have a natural alliance against their oppressor, right? And there is a natural alliance between our our uh, black and indigenous folks, uh, blacks and Asians, and um, and of course um, uh, with our Palestinian brothers and sisters um, against the uh, genocidal apartheid uh, colonial uh, uh, conditions that Israel is uh, perpetrating against uh, the Palestinian people. Um, but what I didn't know, um, and as so something that Ifuma had talked about, about the black entertainers and uh, sports figures. Well, Yafeo goes on to tell me something that I had not known about the Kardashians. So um, about trying to elicit their support because of the work that they are doing. And I appreciate that he is having some appreciation for uh, their work and getting some people free. All right. So. Um, he goes, so he, this is just an excerpt from a letter that he wrote to me. He says, oh, well, such foolishness um, has worn thin with me, so I already know where and how to, to contact Kim K, and I plan to reach out to her and her folks based on the below common mutual interests. First, uh, Nube, I don't know if you were aware or not, but a lot of folks in the Hollywood entertainment circle, sports, etc., such as... Um, so to share Kim K, all her family and others are Armenians. That means they were hunted, killed, chased from their homelands and subject uh, to a genocidal policies over in Turkey. So Kim and a bunch of her folks are potential allies. Re, they want and need to learn more about how to better pursue their genocidal issues, just as we new Africans, blacks, are currently engaged in the same struggles. I love this. I absolutely love this. It is widening the circle of our allies in the struggle. I didn't know that there was this um, perspective. I didn't know that. I don't know anything about the Kardashians, except that I'm not really interested in them. Um, Except for this little bit about some of the work that Kim Kardashian has done to get people free. She's actually done it. And... I didn't know that she was Armenian, and and there has been, over these past 10, 20 years, there has been a real push for Turkey to uh, recognize the genocide that uh, 
was again um, <clears throat> perpetrated against the Armenian people. So I found that to be a, a, a really beautiful thing. And I think it, it, what it does for me is it helps me to remember to think outside the box. We oftentimes, um, we fight amongst each other or I find myself saying, I'm not going to talk to those people. I don't want to deal with those people. Um, I find myself doing that. I admit it. I, I openly admit it. But what I understand is we have to, I follow these prisoners because they, their perspective um, is much more rooted in their freedom. They are experiencing uh, truly, I am not. And so it is important for me to listen to them and learn from them. And they help me to stay connected to my humanity. They remind me to stay in my highest integrity. They remind me to think outside the box and to think strategically. They help me to stay in that place. So where I would have been kind of dismissing, although I have been thinking very much about how do we get these Athletes, these mega rich entertainers, black entertainers to move into some artivism. And how do we get the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper and Prison Focus Newspaper and Cage Universal um, Uncaged Slave uh, yesterday into their hands and reading it and passing it on and then by their making sure that we stay viable. I think that is, I've been thinking about that a lot. And uh, so thank you, Yafeo Ayepo, for bringing that to light and, and really pushing that forward. Sitawa has done the same when we talked about, because Danny Glover has worked with us. We know that. So I think we just need, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing better on that. All right, actually, we are going to, I'm going to start with a poem by M. Singh. His name is Michael Manjeet Singh, and he is in the California Medical Facility. I'm going to read this poem first called Lost and Profound, and then we're going to end with Eva Contreras because it is quite positive. All right, Lost and Found. This was written in February of 2021. Literal torture inflicted upon my mental health. No longer am I young. It ain't my sense of wealth. Each minute is an awfully cruel emotional drain, falling into dark pits, losing ground fast without any gain. How can I rehabilitate, improve, and be changed when your psychosis is to isolate me and make me deranged? You separated me from the pack. Now I'm a recluse. Hear that sound? Rolling around my screws are now loose. This duress adversely warps my mind. Stressin' in solitary, shoe, ASU, its effects are far from kind. Efforts to use coping skills become a major complication, nullified because never-ending cortisol distress of subjugation. This solo situation, prompted by a ruse, is fully forced. I hear hella voices and counting, yet from reality I'm divorced. Forced solitude makes me feel so hollow and empty inside. It's cemetery silence. Feels like a graveyard, like I've died. I'm locked in here, all alone. Can't all those loved ones, my vital lifeline? Can't call those loved ones, my vital lifeline. Desperately, I need a phone to hear voices I love so I know they're fine. A panic-induced isolation causing me to truly seriously suffer. From intimate connection to life, there's no greater buffer. Being socially lonely has a permanent and deadly impact. It feels like your entire soul has been fatally attacked. The mental black hole exacerbates the mind's pain. I don't know how to deal with its eradicated brain. They told fabrications, fabrications to put me inside all lies. Since I'm falsely accused, should I inflict real pain, evoking tears from eyes? This scenario is well known to drive many men critically insane. I am strong and will thrive until I can no longer feign. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. What else can I hold on to to give me some hope? Prison is dark already. This destruction of brain only makes it more. How long more? How long before they open this pit from the depths of hell's door? When will this cavity 
fully engulf and swallow me. I want to feel as if I'm part of something bigger, don't you see? Focus fiercely because light always comes after dark. All you need is synapse wire with a small inner spark. You have to come back, circle of life, like a boomerang. Gotta fight hard, grit your teeth, and show your fang. In my mind's eye, this is the solitary shoe ASU segregation effect. My face a facade, so my emotions you can't read or detect. Physically I am fine, safe and sound, but still the loneliness in my heart and mind is quite profound. All right, lastly, we got a wonderful short sweet notice from Eva Contreras. I encourage you to go to sanfranciscobayview.com and read her latest article, View from Treblinka Dungeon, Pelican Bay. Just put in Eva Contreras in the search bar and you will, uh, if you, and put quotes around it. Eva was one of the first women. She was a trans, she's a trans woman, and she was put in Pelican Bay very early on, very soon after Pelican Bay opened, and was experiencing uh, medical abuse and neglect at the hands of the prison guards, because not only was she trans, but because that's how medical, um, uh, medical attention is meted out to prisoners inside, especially in the supermax prison of Pelican Bay State Prison. She writes to us, in May, early May, greetings Malik and Nube. Please note new address and number. I won my case in the California Supreme Court and have been transferred to the Central California Women's Facility. I got here in February, Eva. And her new address, and she has a new number, Eva Contreras. Her number is WB1126. She is at CCWF at 513-13-1L. P.O. Box 1508, Chowchilla, California, 93610. Eva, I am so glad that you are now in the appropriate prison, if you're going to be in prison, but I only say that because we want you home. Um, I know that this you've been fighting for this for decades, and um, we are glad that you have gotten uh, your wishes finally after all of this time. I do want to encourage all of you to um, continue to sign up if you haven't, but please sign up for Spirit of Mandela and sign up for the um, the International Tribunal on U.S. Human Rights Violations that will be taking place October 22nd through the 24th. And these are some of what we will be uh, charging uh, human rights violations for racist police killings of black, brown, and indigenous people, hyper-incarcerations of black, brown, and indigenous people, political incarceration of civil rights, national liberation era revolutionaries and activists, as well as present-day activists, and genocide of black, brown, and indigenous people as a result of the historic and systemic charges of all of the above. I did not name them all. Please sign up. Go to spiritofmandela.org. Make your $25 contribution. If you have not, please do so. And if you have not, please tell other people. We need as many people on board as we can get. I want to thank you all for being here today with me, Nube, at, um, the here on Prison Focus Radio at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer, and we will see you next week. Love y'all. All power to the people. Else's crime, hate, that's what got me here. 
Thank you.